Hello and welcome to the Pink Bike Podcast. I hope you're having a great festive period, doing whatever it is you may well be doing and enjoying yourselves. Now, before the Christmas break, Kaz, Sarah and I sat down to rate each other's predictions of what would be happening in mountain biking and the industry in 2024. We hope you enjoy it. Thanks for listening throughout 2023 and we'll catch you in the new year. Hello and welcome. I mean, before we get into any tech predictions and what's going on with mountain biking, welcome back, Sarah Moore. Thank you. I'm back. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> the Pink Bike commenters noticed. I felt really, uh, that was lovely. Thanks, guys. Yeah. Oh, I, think, I think everyone's noticed. It's, it's so great to have you back. I, um, in fact, you know, without embarrassing you, before you even ended today, me and Kaz are like, it's so great to have Sarah back. Yeah. You know? <laughs> it's good to be back. Yeah. I, th- I, I think there are enough um, grumpy, salty, cynical people on the tech team. And we need some positivity. We need some, you know, some friendliness. Well, some I just had a vibrant. whole year off, so I'm yeah, even so less happy. than usual. <laughs> nice. so I don't know if you guys can handle me. No, I'll try. <laughs> so um, you were saying you did a lot of cross-country skiing. Well, a bit of cross-country skiing this winter. It's I pretty did. exciting. Yeah. I'm trying to persuade Kaz to let me do a video on snow bikes. He's I think not... you might have to work on him on that one. Yeah. But I want to, I want to try just like... You know what mountain bikers do in winter and i want to try and do a thing like maybe like you know you try and teach me to, to cross country ski which looks absolutely terrifying and then maybe we do some other stuff as well and we like you know explore all the different avenues but that, that's a different discussion um today we're going to be looking at the pink bike staffers 2024 predictions so basically each you know um, news writer or tech editor has written up what they think is going to happen in mountain biking and we're just going to go through them and maybe provide some Hmm. Some feedback, what we think isn't going to happen, maybe some agreement with with where we agree. Um, Kaz, you've been at Pink Bike for a while. Has Pink Bike tech editors looking into their crystal ball worked out in the past? Uh, well, sometimes we just pick safe things, and so then it's okay because we kind of have a little bit. Some of our crystal balls are clearer than others, so we actually know what's happening. But I'd say medium. I don't know. Our track record's like moderately right, and some things probably will happen in the future, but still haven't. Okay. So let's start in no particular order. We're going to start with Alicia's 2024 predictions. So she said drivetrain development is about to get more interesting. And basically in that, she basically says that, you know, with SRAM changing the derailleur concept, that we're going to see other um, people get on there, as well as the gearbox situation, maybe even developing slightly. She also says that YouTube and social media will continue to take over as the ways to succeed as an athlete and the industry will continue to struggle before hopefully having an upturn later in the year. So we're going to focus on one, one of each of, you know, from the tech, from the tech team, one, one point each the thing I suppose I'd like to talk to you Kaz and Sarah is about regarding the industry and it continuing to struggle because how to put this, I remember in 2020 when coronavirus happened, and initially it was all doom and gloom. Then it was the best thing ever. Then it's back to doom and gloom. Are we not just bouncing between these extremes, Sarah? <laughs> I mean, it sounds like it when you put it that way. <laughs> but it, it just feels like the wheel, wheels are going to fall off. And then it was actually the best thing ever. And then like for a lot of people, especially PME people that got into mountain biking in 2020, they've only known extreme language about the health of the industry since then. It's definitely an up and down kind of roller coaster thing, but I think we're still in the, the part of it 
sort of going down or going back to normal before, but you still have companies with tons of stock left over. If you looked at the sales this year for Black Friday, everything's like 70% off, which is great for the consumer, but it also means these companies are just trying to get rid of this year and last year, maybe the year before stuff before the new products show up. So um, yeah, that's kind of like the doom and gloom part of it. But at the same time for the consumer, prices are really low for some things. So I mean, today actually we saw Kona do a deal. What is it? It's like buy one, get one free? Two for one. Two for one. Yeah, that's a sign. I mean, they're not making money on that. I don't <laughs> if think. you were like, I always kind of wanted a downhill bike, but you know, I got to get my, you know, regular trail bike. You that's just crazy. get two bikes for one now? Is that how Pretty much, that yeah, deal I could, works? I, mean, I think you have some companies that even have bikes in stock that have last year's or the year before suspension, which makes it really hard to sell if it doesn't have the latest super deluxe, extra special, whatever, and you're trying to sell it and people know when it's from. So that's pretty tricky, especially if it's a complete bike. So yeah, big sales. And we've seen you know companies going out of business or going into bankruptcy and all kinds of things. So I think that's the gloom part of it. I mean, at the end of the day though, we all like mountain biking and hopefully it just kind of levels out, but it's definitely going to be some some issues, I'd say. Yeah. And it does feel as well, like even the, I don't know, everything just for that 2020 kind of hangover, everything did go just a bit, a bit wild. And it felt, obviously at the time, lots of uh, blue sky thinking, but it was going to be that way forever. Mountain biking was established as a mainstream sport now, and it was just going to be win after win after win. But sadly, sadly not. <laughs> um, although I hope it could, you know, do you think this recovery will be, or what do you guys think? Do you think that, I mean, it's impossible to tell, I suppose, but have you heard any rumors in the industry, Kaz, about kind of into the latter half of the year? Or, uh, yeah, or I haven't heard anything like overly optimistic, but as a non economist, it does seem like the economy, at least in the United States, is kind of leveling out a little bit, like inflation levels and all the consumer spending, all things seem like they're trending back towards normal, maybe. So it'd be nice if the bike industry followed suit. But again, it's kind of all about the forecasting and what brands kind of survived all of the, you know, as their debts come due and things and they're just stuck with warehouses full of product. That's going to be an issue. So um, I'm not, eh, my crystal ball, I don't know what to say about this one. I was like, I don't have a clear answer, but hopefully the optimistic side of me wants things to get back to kind of how they were before. Well, as we don't know much about the economy, let's get on to something that we do know a bit more about, bicycle technology. And let's look at Seb Stott's 2024 predictions. And he says, adjustable chains to the length will become a common feature. That there'll be more 16 kilogram-ish e-bikes that actually weigh more like 19 once you kind of got them spec'd out as you would. Shorter cranks will become more prevalent. Um, I, wouldn't, I think the thing with adjustable chain length is very, very relevant, but I think it could take longer to come in because each brand can only do one bike at a time. Well, there's also an issue with that too. The strand transmission doesn't play that well with adjustable chain stay length. Sometimes that effect might mean that you're doing a different chain or there's other things with it. So I think that's one of the reasons we're seeing companies go away from adjustable chain stay length. It's a lot easier to package it and say, hey, this bike works with transmission. That's it. And then if you have adjustable chain stays, then it gets a little trickier. Um, what I want to talk about, though, is Seb's actually done a fair bit this year on crank length. Um, Sarah, you used to race, take it pretty seriously. Yeah, cross-country bikes. I raced for a long time. Yeah, I mean, to a very, very good level as well. Was crank length something you considered in terms of getting, like, optimal power or comfort on the bike? Is that something that, cause it seems like quite a common conversation now, but back in your day, what, At what was time, it? At the time, absolutely not. But I feel like as a lot of cross-country racers at the time weren't as technically minded maybe as they are now. Like we always make fun of triathletes as not being super technical, but looking back at myself and I'm like, I could have done so much more to learn about my bike at the time I was racing. I don't think I even had any idea what length crank cranks I was riding at the time. So mm. 
I think. Uh, in terms of when you broke down your approach to racing, now not only are people becoming more, yeah, technical in terms of their bike, but they're also becoming more technically minded in terms of descending. What were your priorities? Was it just get as like, fit as possible? Were you doing much skills or like, te- like kind of testing stuff? How did that work? Yeah. So at the time, I would say now there's like a lot more focus on like nutrition as like fueling your sport. Whereas at the time it was kind of just like, be skinny, go fast up the hills. Um, and then same kind of for your bike. It was like, have a light bike, go fast up and down hills. <laughs> so I think there was a lot of like compromises both for the bike and for the athlete. Um, and then now there's a bit more focus on like, maybe you want components that kind of fuel your ride a bit more. And there's more, we didn't really do a ton of technical stuff. It was mostly just intervals and the courses have got, I think a lot more technical since I stopped racing, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's always good to focus on those skills and I don't think I did a lot of that at the time. (laughs) So if you could have your time again, would you prefer that style of course, which is slightly less technical or the more modern, which actually looks like really good fun to ride as much as anything? Uh, so 20 year old Sarah would be absolutely terrified of the courses that are now like a regular cross country course, but coming from it now, having more technical skills, I think the courses now look a lot more fun Mm. than it used to kind of be. People would go off into the woods for, you know, 20, 30 minute laps and you wouldn't see them for that whole time. And then now it's, when you go and watch a race, it's, you see the racers every 11 minutes. It's way more exciting. So I think the courses now are better and more exciting but I was would have been so scared of racing them when I was <laughs> 20 years old <laughs> you know there's also a thing you know we're going to talk a lot many people's predictions about downhill racing and often you know some kind of doom and gloom sort of outlooks which might be fair it might not be but for all the criticism thrown at downhill enduro it really feels like XC is going really well yeah. you know it's like getting cool again it's getting yeah. cool again the courses are great um, you're somebody that's watched for years. How do you rank the current racing compared to, you know, I saw you in MSA, you're going to see the race in person. The cone racing? The current racing. Oh, the current <laughs> racing. What do you think of cone racing? <laughs> oh, no, cone racing. Yeah. Gone, like, are you calling it cone racing? Because like you go around and laugh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they started a new discipline while you're gone. It's between the short track. They just do cone racing. <laughs> but what do you know? Is, is cross country racing now as a spectacle as good as it's ever been? Or is there a kind of a couple of years ago where you thought it was maybe better? Oh, that's a good question. Uh, I think XC racing just kept, keeps getting better and better. Yeah. Like I've always been a fan of it and kind of known who the top women are and the top men to a certain extent. Mostly that's just, you know, Schroeder is the top <laughs> male mm. rider of the past decade. Um, but I think there's more depth in both categories, men and women right now. And the U23 racing is even getting to be pretty exciting. I went and watched the 23 short track race at Mont-Saint-Anne and they're going really fast. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so I think, and also now last year we were able to watch some of the U23 racing live, which was, which is amazing. Yeah. Like on the, on the internet live, not just yeah. in person live. Um, so I think that also brings depth to the racing as well. So I think it just keeps getting better and better. And I've always been a fan. So I'm just trying to bring everybody else along yeah. now and <laughs> more people are catching on. <laughs> I think it's nice to hear some positivity about racing though, because I think that, Admittedly, I do watch more gravity oriented stuff, but I know it's it's hard because we all I I want downhill racing as a concept to succeed, and it's a lot of a lot of negativity, and some of it is maybe justified, some of it perhaps not. But 
you know, it's the same organization running both things and one's going really well. And it feels like if we're going to criticize, we should also praise. And it seems like XC is in a great place. That's a good point. Yeah. I went and watched, like you said, Molson Ann for the fun of it. And I saw Brian there and he's like, what are you doing here? And I'm like, I'm just here for the fun of it. Like I like watching racing and I happen to be in Quebec visiting family. So, I mean, it's so cool watching racing in person. And I mean, both downhill and cross country were fun to watch, but mm. Yeah, cross country is awesome. You should definitely watch yeah. it. The Olympics this year too, so we'll get all kinds of new cross country bikes coming out. I don't know if I even predicted that, but uh, that would be a prediction. I should you go write some in. predictions now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <All right. laughs> we'll probably see a bunch of new cross country bikes because when it's Olympic year, we get new product. And yeah. Kaz, what's your experience with short cranks been? Um, I don't mind them. I don't. I do notice. I prefer. I don't know. In my mind, I want to say normal length cranks, but like one seventy or one sixty five. I think the real short ones. You can start. Feels like you're spinning circles, like really fast circles, which. Mm. I don't have the fastest cadence typically, like so it just kind of depends. But I don't mind them. Obviously, on e-bikes especially, you can go super short and it doesn't really matter. Can you explain why e-bikes might go to shorter cranks than a regular bike? Because a lot of times you'll be pedaling in a place where you wouldn't normally on a regular bike because you have a motor assisting you. So in a spot that might make you get off the bike, you're where you'd be pushing, you can be pedaling. So, um, but it is interesting to see, and I do think. Especially for kind of more gravity oriented stuff. Yeah, shorter is going to kind of make sense. Mm. We're seeing some brands go to like almost 165 as standard now, which mm -hmm. used to be the, the short downhill version. How short do you think we could go in the next couple of years? I mean, I, I think that I've got some 160 on my downhill bike. To be fair, I haven't pedaled very much on them. I have pedaled some, you know, on test bikes. I haven't owned any bikes with 160s. Um, but I, I quite like them. Yeah. I, think yeah, I don't know. I can't. I mean, I guess 155 seems like the shortest that Seb's been on. I haven't been on any 155s, but. At a certain point, I don't think it'll work. I don't know. Like, it'll just be harder to... I'd say somewhere at 155 is probably about as short as they can get. Otherwise, they look really tiny and stubby. Mm. I think they make kids' cranks that are in the 140s. So people can try the <laughs> practice make some. So if you want, you can get real short ones. But I think there's a limit to where the the negatives outweigh the benefits. But yeah, it's an interesting kind of yeah. trend that's happened lately. And it's also something that can be done. It doesn't need a wholesale redesign of a frame or anything. It can just be added on. Um, so let's move on to Matt Beer's 2024 predictions. So... He's saying that the single crown upside down fork popularity will increase. He's saying the dropper posts will drop on demand. So what he means by that is instead of just pressing a button to come up, you might have a two-way system, which is something that BMC offer currently, but you have to charge it. It's not as simple as it sounds. And that downhill bikes become extremely, extremely specific and not always for sale. I mean, I think a great example of that would be something like that new demo. Um, He's also saying there'll be e-bikes which are slightly more modular. Um, there are some things in mountain biking that will not go away. I'm not saying they should go away, but they, they come back but never quite really get a foothold. I think the upside down fork could be one of those things. Again, if we could just, you know, strip back to the reasoning, why do people want an upside down fork? I'm still confused by that. We're not confused. I get it, but it's also no one's made a good one yet, which hopefully they do. Like hopefully these ones that are coming out, we've seen push as I think they've actually sold some of them, or at least pre-sold some of their new fork. Intend has one. KS um, has got one as well, the Shock People, which oh, sounds yeah. a bit left of field, but they, they yeah, have yeah. the type. It looks so, really good. Yeah. yeah, so really Flex has been the main issue, just the amount of um, torsional stiffness. So if they've cracked that code and made it work, it could be really good. Uh, um, what's the benefit though? Well, one thing, the, the positioning of the oil, so like everything stays lubricated rather than a regular side-up fork, and also just the weight of the where the weight is oriented on the fork so it could be cool yep. if it works it's just been a challenge i mean we saw rock shocks do it years ago i don't even know what year that was but the rs1 xc fork yeah and it was popular but then it obviously didn't catch on that's the point actually it did kind of 
it came yeah. and made yeah. a bit of a fan. It was like and upside down forks are here, and then oh no, it kind of went away. And, and I think they did use a different axle size for that one, didn't they? But either way, they never have. No one's totally cracked the code enough to be a regular right side up fork. So we'll see. Um, Sarah, hard question to answer. Do you think the upside down forks are just a bit ugly? And do you think that hurts them? Well, what do you think? Do you think that an upside down fork or a regular fork is a better looking proposition? I think a regular fork looks better, but it's also mm. just because that's what I'm what used, used to. to. What does yeah. the bike it's have like to look like, right? the Cannondale fork, Lefty. right? Like people either love that or hate it. You love it if you like different things and you hate it if you like things that are kind of standard. So I think it looks better the standard way. Yeah. but they, I don't yeah. like change. I don't like change either. Hey? I mean... <laughs> It's hard to put a fender on a regular, on an upside down fork. A fender on an upside down fork, it's tricky to make it look or work, I right? Once, so I think it was Brendan when he was running Fairclough, when he was running um, Boss, and his mechanic put two long brushes on each fork tube. Do you see what I mean? Because then the brushes would touch in the middle to make like a fender that the tire could still go through, but it was comp- like yeah, a complex, yeah, no, just like no- noisy, normal fenders. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's hard because I think that the consumer base. I don't, I, I don't know whether it also might be quite a vocal minority of very passionate riders really calling for the upside down fork. But let's not forget, there are, like, there are them out there currently, and you don't see them very often. DVO have given it a good nudge, Manitou have given it a go, especially with downhill forks. And so it's, maybe they could hit some new threshold in terms of uh, you know, stiffness, and that would open things up, I'm not sure. We're talking a lot about Venn diagrams today, before this podcast, but <laughs> I feel like there's a good Venn diagram of people that want gearboxes and that want upside-down forks. It's the mm. same person. It kind of all goes, and then if you have your gearbox bike with your upside-down fork, that is the magical future bike. But they do have a common th- thread, though, running through them, and that's reducing unsprung mass, so maybe mm-hmm. there's, yeah, at least it's consistent. Yeah, true. Um, yeah, yeah, now, we're going to get on to, Kaz, your predictions. The free ride revival. What? Free ride's back, baby. Is free ride back? <laughs> yeah, I think so. It's coming why, back. Why is it coming back? Because well, Enduro's dead. Is yeah. that just done? Yeah, that's it. <laughs> Enduro's dead. We're moving on. She's not even cold. <laughs> no, I know. <laughs> no, but I think that, I think, I mean, obviously this is a like geographically biased opinion, but if you look at the Sea to Sky corridor, there are a lot more people doing what I would call free riding, almost old school free riding, you know, searching out gnarly lines, building stunts. And does mountain biking exist outside of the Sea to Sky? I don't believe I it. I don't think it does, no. Yeah. <laughs> no, obviously it does. Yes, but even other places I've been. But I would say that like there's, we have these great bikes that were originally designed to be enduro race bikes, but now there's even longer travel options that are free ride bikes that people are riding. And I think they're starting to try to kind of push their limits a little bit. And I think that the timing kind of works where I've been on a couple rides this year with people um, that haven't really ridden skinnies before. It was great. Like we were riding the shore. And Henry's raising his hand. He hasn't ridden very many skinnies. <laughs> but I was riding the shore with Dario and another guy, and um, we did some skinnies, and some of them they didn't do because they didn't really like know how to ride them, which is cool. So I think that there's a new crop of riders that could really enjoy this style of riding, and but we got is, bikes for it. It is funny, though. The free ride bike died, and then coincidentally, the 180 mil enduro bike was born. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> been the same thing. It's been there all along. So, yes, yeah, so I don't know if this will be like a, a wholesale change or anything, but I do think... You're seeing more um, kind of, let's see, like fest series, like giant jump jam kind of things, which is one aspect of free riding. It's not like in my mind, I'm still stuck in the old days where free riding is like super hard trail features, not so much giant, perfectly manicured yes, jumps. But I think nowadays free riding kind of evolved and you're getting some more people doing tricks off things you never thought they would do tricks off of. So 
And with social media, people are able to share their antics so much more quickly. So I think there's, there's something there. I don't know if it's going to, not everyone's going to be a free rider again. We're not all going to be back in the woods with our one piece teenies outfits, but something could happen. I like how your, your example was, was skinnies. I'm like, do you need one of these really capable bikes for <laughs> skinny? Well, I yeah, guess if you're skinny, just like drops. Yeah, yeah if you fall off. It's for when you inevitably like have to hop off and you're going like eight feet to flat, you then you can just, but now we have new transmission. We need the gearbox though. See, the gearbox could help with this because then we would <laughs> rip off fewer derailers because that was the old days. You'd fall off a skinny and, and derailers. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't need rim brakes. I but guess you just got to fall off the right side. Can Always you, fall to the left. Kaz, this is a great winter project. Can you not make the perfect skinny bike? No, I could. This maybe was a thought experiment. <laughs> yeah. Skinny bike. A Magira like, hydro, hydraulic rim brakes yeah. and then yeah. gearbox. Yeah, the short like, cranks will help with this too. The short, dude. Yeah. 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 Like how to make the perfect yeah. skinny bike. Um, although you've only been back at work for a matter of days, Sarah, I'm going to lump Six. aggression on you yeah i mean it's Who's been counting? pretty it's been pretty 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 recent um so for those of you that don't know basically kaz is the managing technical editor he has to wear you've got a big title you're like gear and i'm a director director <laughs> yeah, I direct gears direct, i just tell them which way to gear. turn so basically how it works is kaz is responsible for divvying up sort of test parts you know booking in like kind of the, the bigger projects and tuning in making sure we're doing something vaguely like work sarah you're the content manager that's right. So you, you know, decide not solely, but you'll have a huge say in kind of what goes on the homepage. And obviously a lot of these athletes submit their content in the last, well, in the, in the time that you've done it, have you seen the kind of things that athletes would submit change over the years or is it all, cause it used to be, it used to seem like a couple of years ago, every single race team had a like video series and it's kind of moved away now. Hey, yeah. Like, so you're only back six days and you had like a year off. So maybe this is a, a hard one to jump on. Yeah, well, I have actually. So I was doing it for five years. Now this is my sixth year. I'm going to be six years of pink bike. So oh, half of Kaz's uh, legacy time and I'm here. I'm three, so it's like, like there you go. Yeah. Um, I wonder if there's more. There's like a lot, a lot of long content now. It used to be kind of like short. Well, I guess it's like way before my time. There was really long videos, yeah. and I feel like there's a lot more short videos when I first started, and now it seems to be kind of going back towards longer yeah, it, it feels like we went to a point where everything was getting like just a million camera cuts in two minutes yeah yeah and a lot of i mean i think polished content maybe five years ago and now a little bit less yeah no, I, think that's probably polished. Fair. I mean there's always a mix but um and then i mean there's still a lot of team videos not not as much as they were i used yeah. to think yeah. Just, I think, yeah i think people yeah. realize that they cost money to make yeah. And then they, and how many views they're getting for some of them. Like it's only so many team videos you can watch after a weekend, mm -hmm. especially if none of your athletes qualified to the race. That's probably, a, and especially if they end up coming a week after the event anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, and then they were competing with our own pink bike racing content. Yes. As well. Yes. So. yes. Of course. <laughs> Had um, to go down the page, you know, <laughs> <laughs> um, another thing you got here, Kaz, is the pace of geometry or chain, the pace of geometry change slows down. Can you just explain what you mean by that? Yeah. And then not in any way throw me under the bus when we do my predictions in 10 seconds. Yeah, yeah. No, I just think that, yeah, geometry is not going to be as crazy changes in the next few years. We saw in the last, I don't know, five to six years, bikes definitely got longer. They definitely got slacker. And I think that's still going to happen, especially in the trail bike and cross country world. But they're not going to, you're not going to see bikes with such a dramatic change. Like the next, if your size large bike has a 480 reach next year, you're not going to see it have a 500 reach. And that's, well, okay, maybe one company, <laughs> but most companies aren't going to just keep trying to make them longer and longer and longer because there are limits. You have to be able to reach the handlebars. So I think that's going to chill out a little bit, but we will see some more, I think chain state length experiment. Um, Henry, you'll touch on some of the other 
things that you were talking about. But yeah, so it's going to slow down a bit, which is good. It means the bike you have now isn't outdated, mm. which is going to be great. Um, yeah. But I think that's something that I'd like to touch on as well, you know, as we go towards t- talking about, yeah, you know, geometry changes and stuff. If your bike rides well and you like it, do you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah, that's, all, that's keep riding it. Mm-hmm. Like I know that it's so tempting to be like, oh man, this new frontier is going to unlock so much. But if we've learned anything from sort of this whole reach thing, it's that it's all just a journey and some things will go, there'll be good bikes in the new version as well. And there'll be bad bikes. And if you've got a bike you like at the moment and that's, that's all that really, really matters. Yeah. And a lot of bikes now are really adjustables, which is even better. You know, like that's Dump Jumper Evo that came out. I don't know how many years now, three, like four years yeah. ago. Yeah. And that's, that's still relevant today just because you can keep tweaking it to however you'd like it to be. So yeah, yeah. I think just slow, slow down, pace of change with other things coming into play as far as what people are um, doing with bikes. And then another thing, Kaz, which is just diametrically opposed to like, well, against everything I stand for, weight starts to matter again. Yeah. I think it does. Look at the bike in my predictions article. It's my Scott's uh, got ransom that I had. It weighed mm. 30 pounds. It's like a 170 mil bike. But well, okay, well, where has the hundred and sorry, where has the 30 pound trail bike gone? No, swap boxes or something. I don't know. Sometimes I it, don't like, know see, how they've got this heavy. They're all really heavy. They're all really heavy. Like, is it we're, my fault? Uh, well, <laughs> mostly, I don't know whose fault it is, but like I say in my, in my piece, like, I think it's good to some extent. Like I want tires that don't flat. I want bikes that don't break. Like I want a tough frame. I don't want my fork to fall in half, but we've also gone all the way to 38 mil stanchion forks. People are running, you know, downhill casing tires and just long things drop are a seat post long dropper, yeah, well, 200 yeah. mil dropper seat post is going to be heavier. So I think there's places to save weight and still keep the bike strong, which is the ideal. So. Like we've gone to this part where bikes are nice and reliable to the most part and tough, but now if we can knock some weight off, even drive trains have gotten heavier too. Like the new transmission stuff is great, but it's also heavier than the stuff in the past. So yeah, if you can go back to, I, don't, I just don't think that a, a bike you're supposed to pedal needs to weigh 40 pounds. No, I think, you know, I did that piece early on in the year where I said basically heavier is always better. What the, the thing I was trying to say is, when I think I did say, is that all of the incremental differences that have made bikes so much better in the last three or four years have also made them heavier so i'm yeah. there like i'm not saying weight shouldn't be a factor but it should be lower in the list of priorities for me but yeah. i wouldn't want something arbitrarily heavier right um one thing i do look at a lot of bikes especially we did it in our recent um field test all of these enduro bikes except one came with the biggest shock basically money could buy i'm not saying these shocks didn't perform incredibly well because they did but the best damp bike for my money on the test is probably the one with the super deluxe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think you, you know, I'm always not saying it's a, like not important, but I'm just yeah. saying it's a, it play, they all play a role, you know? Yeah. It's like the same with a you know, 38 or a Zeb. Like those are heavy forks and they work well for an e-bike or someone that's really charging hard. But for a lot of riders, if they had the, you know, a 36 or the equivalent, I guess like a Lyric and a little bit longer travel version, it would save you half a pound at least. So all those mm-hmm. things add up. We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I mean, yeah, it would be nice if maybe Maybe trail bikes got a bit, <clears throat> a bit lighter. A little bit, yeah. <clears throat> Just like get around the 30 pound, 30 to 33 pound. Like I'm not asking crazy things. I don't need to go to like weight weenie world where everything has to weigh 25 pounds. I'm but... pretty sure like those bikes that I was talking about that I used to race on, they were no more than 20 pounds. Like yeah, no. you would race, like even now, like Loana Lacombe is training on a, a hardtail bike all season or she's doing a bunch of races on it. And they said it's because Paris 2024, she wants to race on a hardtail. And so the lightest bike is, yeah. matters for those people a lot more than it matters for the rest of us but well whenever you release a trail bike review there'll always be someone who very validly says my 2008 trek fuel ex 
weighs like 23 pounds. How has this happened? And you're there like, <laughs> um, I think tyres are a big corporate. I think that it's funny because I think that a lot of enduro bikes come as stock, come undergunned in terms of tyres. And they should, in my mind, come a double down. And then, I don't know. I think also like, when I, when I have a trail bike, I'm very happy for them to be lighter tyres. I don't want it to be able to just charge through rocks. As long as there's enough support, happy to run higher pressure. Like X, Y, Z. I don't know. I, st- I still think that that's that's a good corporate for a lot of drag and weight on a 130 mil. Like we, I got a bike in recently. I think it was 130 mil, and it came with downhill tires on front and back. Which for me, I was like, huh, that's yeah. a that's something. Yeah, yeah. Like I don't and I don't mind that. But yeah, if it, I, don't, I don't mind it. But it's but it is not for everybody. I don't yeah. know. Just a little bit lighter, be nice while you're paying all this money and fancy carbon things. And, yep. But we'll see. So on to Dario's predictions, and he says, boutique. Metal bikes will continue to grow in both popularity and refinement. And two of the examples he cites is that Frameworks trail bike and the Reebs diesel. Um, Kaz, we've actually nominated this bike, the Reebs diesel, for bike of the year. We spoke about it a little bit, you know, we recorded a video earlier on today. But with all these exotic materials floating around and the ability to go so much, as well as acknowledging the cyclical nature of the bike industry, are we just going to end up back on steel bikes? No, but we're going to see more. I don't know. I think it's pretty cool. These smaller companies making aluminum. I mean, well, one of the bikes they talked about, the frameworks actually has a carbon rear end mm. or carbon seat stays. But I do think that yeah, you can make a really nice aluminum bike um, or a steel bike and they can work just as well as a carbon bike and usually a little bit less expensive or maybe the same price, but you can get a US made version. So um, I'm all for it. Yeah, I've been riding that raw Madonna a lot. I keep talking about it on this, but I'm going to have the review out. In a few months, it's gonna be like it's a long, longer term tester, but yeah, that bike's great. Aluminum. I I am stealing that bike from you once you've finished. No, I would love to can't. ride it. Well, even the frameworks, which is cool too, the frameworks bike we're talking about, Nico Malali's project, it's almost identical geometry mm. and a little bit longer chain stays. But I think that they're yeah, some of these smaller companies are just kind of figuring some things out. Really cool stuff with geometry. So um, I think yeah, I mean Dario's prediction is probably really accurate, just because we know that that frameworks enduro bike will probably be for sale soon. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Um, he's also talking about chassis stiffness, atoms becoming more common. You know, we see this with the common style Supreme, that pole only has kind of different axles that you can get. Um, as well as Shimano going wireless. It would be about time, really, let's face it. Um Sarah, you've been away for you. You've had far more important things to do than than riding bicycles, or dare I say, even checking pink bike. Yeah, not a lot of things are more important than riding bicycles. So I did definitely make time for riding bicycles in the past year, Henry. Um, I suppose, have, have you had, been able to have a ride on that new uh, T-Trap transmission? No. No, it is very good. It is very, very, very good. Currently, what, what drivetrain do you have on your kind of daily driver bike? What do I have? I have a XO1. Mm. Yes, it's still very, very good stuff. Do you think... Um, in fact, maybe this kind of open for the group. Do you think Shimano has kind of had its hand forced by the release of T-Type? Do you think it, you know, because it really is, is kind of, the, the it, T-Type makes the drawbacks of Shimano, and there are many virtues to Shimano as well systems, but the drawbacks are starker. I mean, they have to know that, I mean, they, they obviously do know that they're losing market share in that higher end because of people, people wanting another, you know, wireless drivetrain. And they've been, we've seen prototypes and things floating around. Um, I'll be really curious if it does come out this year, what it looks like and if it uses the UDH because that's a SRAM design. So it's hard to imagine that 
Shimano would want to kind of go SRAM's way, you know? I heard a product manager say to me that he would have said, that's not a UDH rear end, that's a full mount rear end. Mm. So I didn't know, I didn't say anything, but I didn't know if that was some brand language that Shimano were massaging into some OE deals. Oh, it's just, we, we, can, we can do the full mount. Right. I yeah. don't know, you know what I mean? Uh-huh. Um, maybe that's... Maybe that's true. Maybe it's pure, pure speculation. But I just thought it was a really weird way to phrase it. Not UDH. That's a full mount. Yeah, weird. Who hey. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, I don't know. I mean, it seems natural that that's where they're going. Just when is going to be the big question because I would have thought it would have happened a lot quicker. But Shimano hasn't been moving that fast lately. And then a lot of their attention seems to have been focused on the Q's budget drivetrains as well as their... Um, I love my mechanical... Yeah, yeah. No, it's great. And just normal Shimano. I love just getting on there and it's always there. Yeah, and you know, McCann, when we're doing that field bike, um, sorry, field test enduro bike thing, every time hopping on that Chromag, and it was just, just a mechanical shift was so nice. Yeah, and I would love to see SRAM focus some of their attention on their budget cable operated stuff, which I don't. I've heard rumors that that might not be a thing, so who knows? Mm. Um, uh, yeah, I've we'll heard see. rumors that it is. I've heard rumors that it isn't. Both yeah. some credible sources. Yeah, so we'll you're see. You're always going to win something and lose something. I feel yeah, like exactly. you're there. <laughs> <laughs> That's there why is, you guys review things. True. Yeah, but I would. I do think there is room for improvement in the. The SRAM budget uh, drivetrain world, and ideally, it doesn't all, like need batteries, but we'll see. Yeah, um, on to Ed Spratt's twenty twenty four predictions, which really focus on racing. Now, Sarah, you were there in MSA, as we were saying, to see Jackson Goldstone win his second World Cup of that year as a first year elite. I mean, that's just such an extraordinary achievement. Ed is predicting that Jackson wins the twenty twenty four overall for the downhill. Who would you, you, as you're someone that followed all the racing this year, who would, who would you pick, do you think? Do you think Jackson would be a good bet? I think that's a pretty good bet, Ed. I mean, I'm, I don't want to put all that pressure on him. He's I'm only sure a second-year elite, but <laughs> yeah. obviously he deals really well with yeah, pressure <laughs> to got... win at home for a second yeah. World Cup, to win in his first season. Like, how, I... how does he do this? Yeah, it's yeah. Like, quite amazing. And quite... his appendix took, came out or yeah. some kind of appendix surgery. Yeah, he which... wasn't even fully healthy this whole season. No. It was like... Instagram update, like, actually, I'm back in the hospital. And yeah, we saw him here in Squamish, not to be like the weird creeper, but I saw him and I was like, oh, he's looking like little and skinny and like, he like lost a lot of weight visibly because of needing to have, go to the hospital. And then he came back in one races and like, so that's super impressive. Incredible athlete. Yeah, sure. and the skills, I feel like he also, he was consistent because he has these amazing bike handling skills that he can kind of save situations that maybe other racers weren't able to. Yeah. I remember, I can't remember exactly where it was, but I just remember one of his saves and it was just like, wow, you are like a cat on a bicycle. Yeah, like, yeah. Yeah. He's just so agile. Yeah. It's absolutely, it's, I don't know if necessarily like he is an all out better bike handler because there's so much mm-hmm. that goes into it. But in terms of how you perceive him riding a bike from the outside, he looks like the better bike handler. Yeah. He looks just so active and light. Mm-hmm. And he's just so playful. Racing World Cups, just like shrapping turns. Like Yeah, the future, like the kind of current crap we have here, like the younger kids, they're just, I mean, it's a future style of mountain bike riding, I think, which is amazing. Like him, or even you watch Cade on the course, just they don't, there's a lack of fear and then they can just kind of play with the course where other people are, they're not, they don't look scared, but they definitely look like they're more, they need to concentrate harder. More direct, maybe. Yeah, where some of these kids, they are kids, they can just kind of, they see it in their brain and they can make it happen in real life, which doesn't yeah. seem like it should work. And then when it does, it's like, well, you say like a resurgence of free ride. It's like, he's yeah. very complete. Like free ride is, you kind of have to be a complete rider yeah. and you mm. can imagine him competing at any level totally. of the sport. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We're coming to a time now where like the younger crop of downhill riders is probably hasn't, there's never been a time where there's been as many world cup downhill racers that can also do backflips. 
mm-hmm. like the same people you know what <laughs> yeah. i mean like <laughs> yeah. Yeah. um ed's also talking about a, a big push for e enduro racing there have been rumors about that for a little while and also he's saying peter sagan and matt van der Poel, two huge names in the road world although peter sagan's kind of winding down on that face um won't make it the olympic xc race as well as him also talking about the Snowbike World Championships, which I'm not even going to go into. Um, <laughs> Sarah, could you explain a bit of the controversy about the world champs, road cyclists coming in and their placing within it? Because wasn't it that, or could you, could you talk uh, a bit to that? Because like, Matthew yeah. van der Poel came in, he didn't have the points and neither did Peter Sagan, but they got pushed to the front. Yeah, so they, there was something about using their road world ranking at, to move them up a bit in the field, not like to be in the front row. But they were definitely to try and move them up a little bit in the field. And Tom Pidcock, he actually did a couple World Cups earlier in the the season to get the point so that he would have a good standing. And he was kind of like, well, I would have focused my energy on the road races if I knew that this was going to be happening because I could use my road ranking instead of doing these World Cups. Um, But I think it was Peter Sagan and Matthew Vanderpoel kind of got moved up a bit in the field because I don't think... Matt's Vanderpool, did he not do a race think, yeah. in like two years or something? And then he just wins cyclocross and road world championships. But, and it's like, now I'm going to win the mountain bike ones. And In fairness to the ESO or the UCI, whoever the organizer is, if you win, say, or at least it was a couple of years ago, because my friend won, no, he podiumed in nationals in XC and then subsequently got enough points to enter the World Cup downhills. In XC? Yeah, so, no, he, he got the XC points. Oh, like and they're then, transferable yeah, points. transferable. Oh, really? And so is XC to downhill a similar size step as XC to road? Maybe. Yeah. Maybe. It's, it's, yeah. You could probably argue it. Yeah. I don't know if it is or not, but I, I think, I'm not saying it's correct or I agree with it, yeah. but it's not like it's completely unheard of. Mm-hmm. It's just, but now there's such big names and the stakes are so high. Yeah, well, I think it was also maybe people didn't know that this was going to be a thing until two days so before right. yeah, the event. Someone. And so I think it was kind of like, oh, is this fair? Maybe if we'd known about it, like now it seems to be in the next year's list of um, rules and regulations. But I think at the time, nobody knew that this was a thing. So they were kind of blindsided by it, which I think was why there was so much anger yeah. about it. Yeah. If you're a team manager and you see an athlete from the other team get to line up ahead of your athlete, you're going to be calling yeah. to be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. Um, and with Peter Sagan, he's, you know, might be, I heard he's going to be coming into XC racing a bit more. I mean, he was um, obviously a, a generational talent on the road, multiple world champion. Some of the ways he would dispatch people in the last like 500 meters of races after riding 300k in the bloody cold doing 4,000 meters of vert is amazing. <laughs> um, do you think it'd be a bit too much of a fairy tale though for him to come back to where he started? Started an XC, went to road. It's a hard like. Well, he tried to do the last Olympics. Yeah. And I think. He got a puncture. He got a puncture. But he, I think like we were talking about having you know, heavier tires and like downhill casing tires for enduro bikes. But I think XC racing as well, like making sure that your bike is consistent and you have to do a lot of races to know this is the right amount of weight to add to my bike, that it makes sense um, versus, you know, just looking at the number on the scale. Um, So I think racers who have done a lot of races maybe have a better feel for their bike and how it handles than somebody who's been on the road, although it sounds like Peter Sagan is trying to 
race some more mountain bikes. I saw a crash yeah. video on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how it's going, uh, but <laughs> I want him to do well. I like him. So I got a Slovakian pride. So I want him to get in there. Yeah. And he is, you know, and clearly an amazing bike handler. Mm-hmm. But it probably does take a bit of time to translate that to mm-hmm. um, Yeah, maybe now that he's focusing more time on mountain biking, he could do better. And I think it, it will be good for mountain biking. Yeah. In the same way it was good for Enduro when Sam Hill went over. Yeah. It will be to have cross although sometimes I think it can kind of ruffle the feathers of the purist. I think to have athletes that can do two disciplines that are top at both adds a lot of credibility and it's it, Yeah. I think the hard part things. is when racers can only do a couple of races because then it almost discounts yes. when you win a race where some of the road guys were doing another race. Yeah. I see, yeah. Yeah. No, very fair. Um on to Jesse May Morgan's twenty twenty four prediction. So Jesse is a um a new member of the tech team. She's based in the UK, so we haven't been able to have her on any podcast or anything, but hopefully we'll cross paths relatively soon. And her predictions are suspension with integrated telemetry is very much coming. Um that continued concern for comfort and compliance. And so she's referencing um, you know, the stringy spoke wheels that I tested recently. As well as um, some peer-reviewed research by Dr. Lewis Kirkwood, who's actually one of was Gracie Hemstreet's mechanic, about levels of vibration um, and how they can. Oh, sorry. One moment, we've got a cough break. We will be right back after this technical break. <laughs> we are back after our coughing intermission. <laughs> Everyone, everyone's everyone's raring to go. So we're just talking about. Um, the industry's continued concern for comfort and compliance and the efforts they might go to to make bikes a bit more comfortable. Um, Jesse also predicts that Harriet Harden will arrive at the pointy end of World Cup downhill and kids' e-bikes will become, I have the greatest way of them, being EMTBs, which is tr- tremendously exciting. Um, <laughs> focusing on the telemetry, Kaz, you and I, I think you and I agree... We either disagree to where, a point where it's quite funny, over five percent of things. But I'd say normally we're on the same page with things, mm-hmm. largely. Yeah, yeah like we get those, there eventually. Like it's funny in the recent field test, we ranked our bikes in order preference, and ours were exactly the same. Mm-hmm. Likely, you know. We'd, we'd, however, I'm a big fanboy for telemetry. I love it. It makes me happy. Yeah. Um, it tells me all I need to know. Is my north star? You know, it's it's wonderful. You're slightly. You're not convinced with the telemetry or the setup that it often leads you to? Uh, yeah, I think the thing to remember with telemetry is that the setup it leads you to is someone's opinion. So someone has to, sorry, someone has to kind of like program it and that's what their ideal settings are and you're trying to chase their ideal settings with data, which is good because you do get all this data, but you have to, the end result isn't always, like just because everything shows up green lights doesn't mean it's perfect for everybody. Um, but I do think it's interesting and I think that it's useful even just for setting SAG. So many people are running around so without, true. you know, proper SAG. Which you can do with simple, simply shock quiz. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that's existed. But, you know, if it's integrated into the suspension components, like uh, like Jesse thinks it might, that could be pretty cool. Just kind of need to be able to finish a run and see, oh, I bottomed out four times and my rebound is, says it's slow. And just kind of, you can experiment. It gives you a place to start from where some people might not have any idea even what dial to turn, basically. Yes. I mean, I, I agree somewhat with the subjectivity of it. It depends how they've kind of, you know, gathered their data there's some which say this is the fastest setting and then they give you that. But anyway, that's, that's a different point. I think the biggest drawback to telemetry for me is that it can only read the data that you fed it. So if you're riding a, a easy course or very timidly or, you know, it will only report that. Yep. Similarly, if you're riding something really, really challenging, but very, very slow, 
it will tell you, oh yeah, your, your suspension's great, run it really soft, then you ride it harder and obviously it goes out the window. Um, but if you can get stuff that's integrated, maybe you could have more data collection, which could then predict over a week's worth of riding, not two minutes. Yeah, or maybe if you can put in like where you're going, like I'm going to be going to oh, this place. God, and then, don't eat that, yeah. That's a kind of worms. Yeah. <laughs> Imagine that. Imagine that. I need, you know, it's, it'd be like something like Iron Man or something. Like I'm going into, you know, Squamish. I need my Squamish settings. Like, yeah. boop, 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 boop. Well, that's <laughs> this patent that Jesse was looking into. It had a thing about GPS, which obviously like it could tell you where you're on a track, but also imagine you go to your trail forks and it tells you that, you know, Billy sets his rebound up three clicks and I don't know. <laughs> we'll um, see. So on to my 2024 predictions. So that crystal ball you referenced earlier on has suddenly got a lot clearer. Mm-hmm. These are pretty much all watertight hits as, as far as <laughs> I'm concerned. Definitely guaranteed. <laughs> um, so I predict that noses will continue to be bloodied in racing. And what I mean by that is I believe that where downhill is currently and downhill racing in particular is not actually really, it's not the perfect model. It works, it, you know, racing is very good, but I think actually, to be honest, it probably does need a bit of a shake-up. I think that subsequently, there needs to be like a two-tier system that works on like promotion and relegation between teams, something like this, um, because I think that, one, you need to create an arbitrary demand for riders. Sorry, to, not an arbitrary demand, a rule change to create an artificial demand on riders so their wages go up because that's, their welfare just simply isn't good enough. Um, or subsequently, you make it so there's more national feeder series of a good standard, so these riders don't have to pay the earth to go to these races that they're probably only just going to qualify to on a good day anyway. I know it's not very romantic, but that's what I think. Um, I suppose I believe that the ESO have uh, got a very difficult task that's basically upsetting a lot of people. I think there are two different issues. There's the communication around the problem, and then there's the actual problem. I actually agree with them a lot on the problem, um, but it's the communication I think is is making things a bit difficult. Um, I believe that enduro bikes will get steeper. We spoke about this, I actually did a video that came out today that's kind of daft, but it was good fun. Um, Shimano Saint will finally get a refresh and it will be 11 speed link glide and some more weird wheels. I've also got a really, really tentative one that I think we'll see a pull shock, but only because it'll be some cynical marketing ploy. Yeah. Guys, you've had pool shocks on Canadales, I bet. It's been so long. Yeah, I don't think we'll see a pool shock. I don't know why. I mean, they exist, but I'm not sure what you'd achieve with it that you wouldn't be able to achieve with current shocks. It'll be something cool to do with packaging. It'll, it'll yeah, change everything. could be. I was so disappointed that Specialized Demo didn't... That would have been cool if it was, I yeah. assumed it was a pool shock because yeah. it was so well hidden for so long. Yeah. But no. Yeah. No, I think most of your predictions are good. I think definitely interesting to see what happens with Saint. And I wish I had a review bike show up the other day with Saint Brakes on it, like an enduro bike. Yes. I was thinking those just kind of like they faded away. You don't see Saint Brakes anymore except on downhill bikes. But they're bloody good. Yeah. I've powerful. got my downhill bike. They're so good. Um, and it's funny, I think that the Saint stuff was so far ahead. Think about it, it came out in 2013. Yeah. Yeah. 10 a decade and really no changes. And it doesn't really need any <laughs> changes. So like, yeah. He's still winning World Cups. We're talking about Jackson Goldstone Lee one. He runs Saint. Yeah. That's impressive. It's amazing. Um, I suppose the one I'd like to talk about here, Kaz, is I believe enduro bikes will be steeper. I believe that as you can increase... I think we need, to, we need to add like a caveat. You think that your personal enduro bike is going to be steeper because you have one <laughs> of the slackest enduro bikes on in existence as far as a mass market no, no, bike. Yeah. Okay. So your bike has 62.5 head angle in the lowest setting or 63. Yeah. And so steeper, bring it up to like 64, would we'll put it in line with all the other enduro bikes. Like I don't think bikes that are 64 are going to get steeper. I think that there were... I don't think bikes are 64 get steeper, but I think if a lot of enduro bikes. If you'd said 
two or three years ago, where do you think enduro bikes will be in 2024? I think you would have guessed a 63.5, 63 degree head angle. Mm-hmm. And I believe there's like a, a diversion. And I can see them going a bit steeper still. I think the stacks will just get really, really high. Maybe even cranks will play into something too in terms of bottom bracket height. And um, yeah, I, th- I think we can see longer ends. I, I don't know. I mean, yeah, I think that, but I think we'll see a trend across the industry. I don't think it will just be enduro bikes maybe, but I think we saw with things like the Canyon Neuron. Mm. It's a fucking 130 mil trail bike with like a f- 645 mil stack, which is crazy high compared to a couple of years ago where there'd be like maybe 615. Right. Um, yeah. yeah, I don't know. We'll see. I'm not we'll sure. See. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to this one, but I'm curious to where it goes. And obviously, mm. obviously stack matters a lot because it depends on your fork height too. Mm. It's like a, the same stack on a 120 bike versus a 180 bike is a totally different thing. But yep. um, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely curious. Like we mentioned earlier, the new cross country bikes that come out this year, I'm really curious where, what's gone on with that, you know, as the new um, latest and greatest like World Cup race bikes, they keep getting a little bit, those are ones that really are getting slacker mm-hmm. and even um, more travel too. Like we're up to 120 mils travel is your XC, your World Cup XC bike, which is pretty crazy. Yeah. But that's good. I be was cool. wondering about that because usually manufacturers have four years between Olympics and this year it's only three True. so we might not see as many brands change yeah. their bike an XC bike we'll definitely see three some. years but I can't yeah. look into that crystal ball too clearly right? but there, <laughs> we'll definitely see some <laughs> there's some things coming <laughs> but I think also there are a lot of brands that have we know have sat on finished bikes for about a year yeah because they've got so much current stock I wonder if that will play I've heard of brands with literally warehouses full of certain current and outgoing models of trailer and jury bike. Mm-hmm. Like if we release the new one now, we will never get rid of these. And so maybe that Unless you do a two for well. one sale. Yeah, that's Unless a good, good way to do it. <laughs> Three for one. It's good for one. You can get your yeah, XC trail and enduro bike. <laughs> then you never need to buy yeah. another bike. That would be so cool. <laughs> I remember there's years ago, a ski company, you could buy three skis for the price of like one pair because they're park skis. So they came with a three spare ski. Skis? No, three, three skis. just three skis. Three, oh, wow. they, <laughs> so like, yeah. So with one of your skis, like got you know, core shot, or you blew the edges out or whatever you could, you have your spare ski. Oh yeah. I, I mean, that, that does funny. happen quite a bit if they're that yeah. kind of skis. Yeah, I exactly. feel like, right? Like it was three. Yeah. Atomic triplets. I don't know if I'm getting the brand name right. But that might be it. <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. I heard one manufacturer say recently, they're talking about sponsoring like junior world cup teams. And they said, basically what they should do it's just ring up every single junior, like go down the side and just send them a bike free of charge because then they could basically get like 80% of juniors riding their downhill stuff. And it would basically make it like the UCI under the junior series would be say the Canyon or the Commensal, whoever series. And it's such a good idea. Yeah. <laughs> like just give every promising junior because like straight from the factory, it's not just obviously cost retail. It's expensive to mm-hmm. do. But I think it'd be such a like, a great like guerrilla marketing. Yeah, just thing shows up. The and kids like, all right, I'll ride this. My new yeah. bike got a free bike. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna have to buy one anyway. Just uh-huh. turned up. Yeah, to what's you know. Yeah, I know they're probably getting a, a, a pro deal on something, and now they're getting a free frame. They're yeah. like, sweet, yeah. I'll yeah. ride this. Yeah. <laughs> Put it in my Instagram uh, yeah. bio that I'm sponsored by such and such. <laughs> now today we've just run through them very very quickly. There is a whole host of articles expressing the reasoning, probably a bit clearer. <laughs> but we've had a good fun talking about. It. Thank you very much for your time, guys. Again, welcome back, Sarah. It's thank great you. to have you here. Yes, thank you. And um, Kaz, thank you for coming up to wonderful Squamish from far, far away. Because you live in like Texas or something. Hey? That's why you never visit. Right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. It's very hours and hours and hours away. It's so away. warm there. Yeah. <laughs> See, we were going to go skiing tomorrow. And then Kaz told me point blank that he wouldn't ski with me because I was too bad. And now Kaz 
isn't skiing tomorrow and doesn't have his skis, he's clearly trying to throw me off the scent. What's happening? Yeah, it's a big plot. (laughs) Anyway, thank you very much for listening. Get in the comments, let us know what you think of our predictions, and we'll catch you next time.